The Professional Carbon Cleaners and Restorers podcast informs companies just like yours why we need to do this together. This free service allows you to obtain business insights to help develop and grow your company to allow for a better lifestyle. Together we have the ability to provide valuable insights, knowledge, guidance and personal resources accumulated over many years. This podcast is developed for you to claw back your valuable time and hopefully help with your forward goals. This podcast is all about giving back. No strings attached, no funny business, no get-rich-quick schemes, but simply to provide some of mine and our amazing co-hosts their wisdom, stories, and hopefully some valuable insight. Together, we have the ability to grow, sustain, and provide a healthy work-life balance for all the cleaners and restorers. As this is totally free, please subscribe, write a review, and share this podcast today. Now onto the show. We would like to thank our sponsor, CARSI, the Cleaning and Restoration Science Institute. Increase recognition and valuing your expertise. Welcome, everybody. So this is a disclaimer on this week's podcast. So this week we're talking about crime scene cleanups, biohazard cleanups, and we also get into a little bit of gory detail and some little bit of colourful language. Not to make light heart of this situation, uh, but it is a job and someone has to do it. So this week we talk with Josh Marsden and he runs us through some of the things that he comes across from a day-to-day basis, weekly basis, and also what people ask him. So it's a great episode. There's a lot of information. He even discusses prices, uh, which is hard to get someone to do, but Josh is open enough to explain some of the costs involved in doing this type of work and who is it for and maybe who it's not. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and get a bit out of it. And again, reach out if you would like any further details. This week's giveaway is a Carsey hat. This week's question is, when was Carsey registered with an ABN? A random generator will pick a winner and will be broadcast on our next podcast. Please send your answers through to our Carsey LinkedIn company page or our Facebook business page. Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in again. Uh, this fortnight's podcast, we've got a really special guest, Josh Marsden. So Josh, is, you're out of Victoria. Yes. Um, Josh is the owner of Australian Forensic Cleaning and Meth Lab Cleaning Australia. So well, yeah, we'll just get started and maybe uh, a little bit about yourself, Josh, and how you got started in the industry. So welcome along. Okay, um, I actually got started in the industry by accident. Um, I worked in real estate for years after finishing uni and decided I'd buy a business. And there was a mum and dad cleaning business for sale with commercial cleaning contracts. So not having ever used a mop and bucket, I figured, well, if they can, they can do it, I can do it. So I um, and that's, that that's the way most people start, actually, isn't it? You know, so. So uh, it can't be that hard, it's cleaning. But um, that was the start of a very long journey of realising that there is quite a lot in cleaning. How long ago was that, mate? That was 2006, I think, 2005 or 2006, yeah. Okay. So, so 15 years, 15, 16 years? Yeah, so I ran that for about five years in cans. Yeah. Uh, rebranded it, did a new website, et cetera. Um, but then got asked one day to do a death cleanup. And lo and behold, I had no idea. Mm. So I contracted, I found someone who said that, you know, I won't name names, but um, they said that they were the only experienced, trained crumbs and cleaner in Australia, which I soon found out was a, a lot of crap. 
and um, they were going to pay me a kickback for every job that I gave them. So I gave them three jobs. I never paid a kickback. And I started up a forensic cleaning business as a result. Okay. Yeah. So when you started that, what what did you know and what didn't you know? So well, you... I knew a little bit about chemicals, not too much, but um, we just went at it trial and error. You know, the first we went into pretty blind with some respirators and some antimicrobials, and it was more a hoarder's cleanup in a caravan park really than a death cleanup. You know, he died on a pile of rubbish. You know, the house was, well, the cabin was covered in goon bags and beer cans and you name it. So we just got a skip, emptied all that out, cut the floor out and um, put an ozone generator in after sanitizing the place. So, I mean, it was, it was a learning experience, but there was no training. You know, nobody was training in crime scene cleaning or forensic cleaning or biohazard cleaning. Um, so it was, you learn it yourself or you don't get taught. I think it's still like that at the moment. There's not a lot of training um, in this industry as far as chemicals, like we discussed, you know, our H&S. Um, and we get a lot of calls for people who are interested in training, um, just getting work experience with us to see, you know, if it's CSI related or if it's um, a bit more detailed. And most of the time they find out it's not really what they want to do. <laughs> I guess that's another question in itself, like, Yes, you, uh, I mean, we've discussed this a bit, but you say that people get a hold of you quite often about this oh, yeah. cleaning. And what is their expectations? What is? What do they think it is? They think what it's what they see on TV. So you're wearing a glamorous white gown with a mask. You've got a spray bottle and you're going around wiping blood spots off walls. Okay. Um, reality is? Reality is you go into a house that you can't see the floor. You know, the toilet's overflowing. Um there is fecal matter, there's piss everywhere, there's vomit everywhere, the place hasn't been cleaned in 20 years. And sometimes you can't even see where they've died, it's that dirty. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, and the smell, you know, you can't go in there with a P2 mask on. <laughs> so it's, yeah, a lot of them have come. I've brought a lot of, what about 20 people over the years into work experience and two of them were interested in staying. Fair enough. All women, no, all women. Yeah. Uh, we probably get one male apply for a job for every 99 women. Mm, okay. And so we, we've, in our business, we do it as well, but uh, we've got a guy that can't smell at all. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, can't smell at all. So he doesn't get wheezy. I mean, he's, we still put him in all the PPE, but uh, it's definitely a bonus, put it that right. way. We, so. get, we, get, we get nurses and yeah. nurses and you know, people in the medical industry always applying for jobs. Okay. Enough of the public service life. Yeah. Um, but again, they don't. They think they're going to get paid a ridiculous amount of money, but it's just not the case. You know? What about ex-military? Do you get many? Oh yeah, we get ex-military, ex-nurses, uh, fireys. Yeah. yeah. We've got experience in dealing with hazardous situations, which yeah. is great. okay. Um, but it's not always what they think it's going to be. It's labour-intensive. You know, it's not just cleaning up blood. It's you know emptying houses. It's um you know, cutting up floorboards, digging up soil sometimes when the fluid's gone through the floorboards, down the beams and into the soil. You know, you've got to get rid of all the blood. Mm. You know, it's not always it's on the surface. So. so how do you go about getting trained? Like what's what's actually in the market now that you know of? Like um, I know you've done a bit of training um, in the States. The training in the States, so how does that uh, equalise the training so well, the training in the States was for meth lab decontamination. 
Okay. With, um, um, what was his name? Ken Berg from National Institute of Defense Specialists. So, I mean, that was good. He brought in yep. you know, drug detectives and had the right people come in and, and discuss it. Not so hands-on, but, you know, it was a long week course too. And compared to the Australian course, which I know they ripped off the American course and brought to Australia, we flew to America, had time in Vegas and flew back for less than it cost us to come to Melbourne to do the course, right. which was a copy of the American course. Right. So, I mean, it was good, but it didn't really go into detail for Australian OHS standards. And again, that's probably still the problem now is... Um... Oh, it is. All of it is. Yeah. There's, no, there's no standards that we follow that aren't based on American for a lot of training. So what are the standards we actually have in Australia? Um, well, it's, it's OHS, but a lot, of, a lot of the standards for dealing with biohazards is more pointed towards um, nurses, hospitals, doctors, and cleaning up and keeping the clinic and areas clean and sanitised rather than dealing with cleaning up um, you know, actual structures and building materials. You know, it's almost half trade related. So the guys that work for us are, are handy with tools. You know, they're ex-tradies, most of them. So, okay. you know, they jump on the tools. I'll cut floorboards out. I'll fit the yellow tongue back in. You know, they know what to do. Yeah. It's not just about the cleanup. I mean, anyone can be taught to clean, but having that trade background is preferred. Yeah. So you're, you're in Victoria now. You're national. Yeah, yeah. So we're a national company. Yeah. Yep. How, how does that work? So you've got people that you deal with nationally that do the work for your company or they do it for their own company? Or Yeah, we've got, we've got a variety of contractors around Australia, but we do service Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, Victoria with our own crew. Right. So that's, we don't contract in those areas unless we've got an overflow um, where we can't take the work on. Um, but otherwise, WANSA at the moment, which we're probably going to change. Um, we're probably going to go away from using contractors. Um, and set up in those states our own team soon. It's just been a bit hard with COVID and yeah. the lack of travel. You know, we can't go and train them. So, and, and that brings me to the next question: How do you train the people you put in these areas? I do. Yeah, I've got a business partner. We both train our staff. So okay. we're the founders, um, and we they basically come with us on jobs. We train them on the job, and yeah. once we're once we're confident they're um, up to speed, um, then we put them in a van themselves. How long does that normally take? What's the process there? Oh, anywhere from six months to two years, depending on the applicant. So okay. it takes a while to get the right jobs, to give them those skills, you know, because we do so many different types of jobs. It's not just a depth. You know, there might be a regular client that, you know, pisses and shits and we've got to rip his carpet up or sanitise certain types of materials. Uh, then there's the meth decontamination. That takes a while to learn, depending on the house, the materials again how to remediate it, if you can remediate it. So um, sewage, we do a lot of sewage cleanups. Okay. Again, depends if you've got the trainings, we've got to put them through the courses, understand the flood, the antimicrobials. Yeah, there's a process. Yeah. Some of them have training already. I prefer them not to, so I can train them the way I want them to do things. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the limitations that you come across when you come across these jobs? Um. I don't know if I'd say there's limitations. A lot of time it's insurance related if there's a limitation where the client's been knocked back maybe. Okay. And they don't have the funds, you know, so especially with NDIS because they have a set cleaning rate, which I think is like $50 an hour, you know, and we pay more than $50 an hour. Right. We can't 
do these nasty cleanups. And their regular cleaners have stopped coming and they're calling us to, you know, do a filth clean to get it back to a state so their regular cleaners can come back. Right. But they don't have the funding for it. So what's the process there? What happens there? Well, we don't clean it. They go back to try and get more funding and go through the political loops again. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't get funding that need funding. And a lot of houses I've been to that have got ridiculous amounts of funding and are just milking it. Yeah. You know, so. So if I'm, if I'm new, like I'm just a cleaner, um, and I guess it goes back to that, that first job that you got. You know, I'm just a cleaner. Maybe I've got a cleaning company. Um, my real estate or someone finds out that I do that sort of clean or what, what's the first stages? What's the first steps if they don't know anything about you or what you do? What can they do to try and start this process? Is ball rolling now that just like you did at the start, you know? Oh, to get to get in the training. Well, that's the thing. Like we, we got in 10 years ago. We started the company 11 years ago now in 2010 and just realized that there was nobody doing it. You know, it wasn't anyone training in it. So we did a lot of reading um up on chemicals processes from america um but it was just learn it yourself there was no guidance it wasn't regulated okay um you know obviously there's iicrc here and all these different uh bodies now that have similar courses for treating mold and biohazards and stuff but again it's it's not it's not really a regulated industry mm. you know anybody can just say they're a crime scene cleaner and start cleaning up crime scenes so, so what makes the difference between just a cleaner and a crime scene cleaner then? If well, no crime scene cleaner's got experience in cleaning up, you know, body fluids and and remediating structure, whereas a regular cleaner, you know, commercial cleaner, or house cleaner, one they probably don't know what chemicals to use, they won't have the equipment, they're probably not, you know, trade related, so they can't have, you know, they don't have the knowledge to cut the floor out, they know what to do, you know, it's it's not just going in and cleaning, it's half building and restoration. How do you get clearance on these places then? Uh, we do ATP testing, okay. um, but I mean, there is no, there's no special clearance to do. Okay. And the ATP testing? It's, it's, it's an odor test. We always say if there's, if it still stings, you know, odor comes from odor causing bacteria. So if you come back a week later and it smells, there's still, there's still contamination there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it, sometimes it goes through your floorboards, under a wall cavity. You don't even know it's there. You cut it what you think's there, um, treated it, ozoned it. And then, you know, the client rings and says, it stinks. We go back and cut more floorboards out. They might have gone on a skirting board and threw a gap, you know, in a closet that we that we didn't see. So, and do you have tracing methods? You know, like the CSI, blue, light. Yeah. Tracing? Yeah, tracing. You know, they spray that stuff down, they get the blue light out. Uh, we've got, um, we've cleaned up that stuff, luminol and stuff. You can spray it, it turns blue. Um, but we use hydrogen peroxide, so it's a spotter. We'll spray it. If it fizzes, you know, there's still fluid there. But at the same time, on certain timbers, it still reacts regardless. You yeah. know, so it's not always blood. Again, it reacts to, you know, urine as well. So if you're in a bathroom it's or something, the, toilet, the whole yeah. thing's spraying, yeah. Yeah. So. It's a small indicator. It's good to spray, spray on a wall and low concentration if you've, you know, had a suicide and there's been a blood splatter and you've cleaned it and you spray it again, you can see it if it hasn't been cleaned properly. So, yeah. So we'll just a little bit of a disclosure here. We may get into some gory details. So if someone's a bit squeamish or whatever, may want to switch off now. But let's, um, let's actually start talking about the job itself. So we've got an indication of process of how someone might start an industry. They might fall into it. 
might do some research, uh, might find it interesting and reach out, uh, which they can reach out to you. Um, is that right? They can, yeah, a lot of people reach out to you weekly. Oh, yeah, we get calls every week, definitely. Probably four to five people call every week. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got a job page, like an employment page on one of our websites, and we do get a lot of applicants, but, you know, when you can't send through a resume and you just send a one-line, I've been thinking about getting in this industry for a while, please contact me. Um, <laughs> like, I need them. You're not going to get a reply, you know. We want to see your resume. We want to see your history and your background. And, you know, it's it's... Some of these lazy applications take up 95% of the people who inquire. Right, okay. They don't even have phone numbers. You know, so it's an email. (laughs) (laughs) It's forensics, mate. I thought you were into forensics. (laughs) But the cipher this email. All right, so we're going to get into some gory stuff now. Um, Let's talk suicides, okay? So unattended bodies, deaths, and suicides. A lot of people don't realise gunshot wounds, the damage it does do to fragments of the skull. Oh, yeah. Can you explain, just for our viewers, without going into too much gory detail, but, you know, what can happen, you know? Like, this is a stressing time for people, but as a job, someone's going to go in there and clean it up, you know? So what is it that you might do if this is the case? What's one of your processes there? Uh, well, to start with, if it's a suicide with a gun, you know, and they usually make a lot of mess. As you said, we always set up a clean, safe area outside first. You suit it up straight away when you go into yeah. one of these things. Um, but I mean, what you're, what you're cleaning up is fragments, like you said, you know, bone fragments, and they're, they're embedded in the roof and the walls, you know, so it's, if you, it's either pulling them out, sometimes they've gone through the roof. We've had to go up into ceilings to get bits and pieces out that have gone through the ceiling. Um, it's not a pleasant, Job, that's probably the least pleasant just because it's been a suicide. You know, it's mm. if it's an unintended death, they died usually naturally, or you know, they've, they've been around for a while. But when it's a suicide, it's it kind of hits close to home when you consider that the family around that you deal with, you know, aren't always the type of family that you would think would have someone in their family that was suicide. Mm. And that's often a shock. You know, when I was in Cairns, we cleaned up a suicide. Um, just down the road and it was four guys living together um, they played in a band you know the night before they'd been jamming they said and they came home one day and saw a note in the entranceway just saying um, thanks guys you've been great really sorry that's all he said and he raced into his room and he was on the bed with sheet over it actually shot himself in the head but contained it even. Right. all about containing it so he didn't make a lot of mess you know, and they were just shocked. Like they just didn't understand. Like he was happy having a beer with them and jamming the night before. He had a good job in the mines. He had a girlfriend. You know, they just they did that. They can't understand what happened. Something ticked, and he was just a tip gone. And that's the thing with suicides, and they're all men. Right. All the women that we the women are attempted suicides. We're doing one today actually in Tasmania, and it's they're always female. They they never succeed. The men don't talk about it or cut themselves. They just do it. You know, there's a distinction between the male and females. Okay. So, again, this comes back to wanting to do this role, this job. But these, like, people need to understand that there's more than just cleaning. There's the psychological side as well. Isn't oh, it? definitely. It's, it's definitely psychological. I mean, you have to have a strong stomach and you have to consider, you have to consider it, you know, a job that 
someone needs you to do and that's all. You can't think about, you know, the, 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 the yeah. mental side of it. You know, it's, you know, it's happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Our job is to get in there and, and clean it up for them so that they don't have to see it, you know, and make their life easier for you know, that tragedy that's happened. Um, you know, the cleanups about you know, saving them from the scene, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Again, it's 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 a job, you know. People have to remember it is a job. Yeah, you can't take it. You can't, you can't take it personally. I mean, yeah. we do. I get asked about them all the time, and they say, "Remember that job we did two months ago?" And I'm like, "No, I've no. done so many that I just leave it like that." I, once I'm done, two days, three days later, so many more jobs have gone through. It's, I've forgotten about it. Yeah. You know, there's only a few that have stuck in my mind, which has been you know, the really bad ones, and they usually have been that you know that emotional side that you can't escape sometimes when it's been a great loving family and the son's just shot himself in the head you know and the family's devastated because they didn't see it coming mm. and these poor guys are in their, their late 20s in cans and it was exactly that they just they had to leave they left the house they broke their lease it's like we can't live here anymore they would just they wished he'd talk to them you know because they didn't understand he was such a happy person he had a successful life you know they're like what happened like what was going on yeah so yeah so That's my part. So you normally get to those pretty quickly, I would imagine, or does yeah, it yeah. have a time frame? Yeah. Oh, look, as soon as the police have finished with the investigation, so if it's happened and it's a suicide, we probably won't get to that site for, you know, one to two days just because we have to wait for the police to finish the investigation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, if it, if and it, in that case, uh, body's been removed. Yeah, the undertaker's always first. Undertaker, yeah. Yeah, we never see the bodies. Yep. Um, so what's left behind in that case? There was a bed, mattress sheets, pillows. Yeah, it's um, basically prescription medication under the, under the bed. Okay. Probably what do you more. do with that? What happens with that? So uh, we just bin it, you know. If not, the police usually get, if it's a certain type of drug, they'll search. The first thing they do is search for anything that's prescription that's got certain opioids or, um, you know, illicit drugs in it. They'll take all those if they're Panadols and other non-toxic uh, prescription over the counter drugs yeah 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 they'll take away uh, but again you know we've been to job where you know he's killed his mother son's killed his mother high on ice and there's luminal on the floor because he's dragged her out of the room and gone to the phone box and called his mother and said i call he's called the police and said i just killed my mum you know because he's off his head and we've gone to that site to clean up the room and first drawer we opened in the bedroom had drugs in it mm. i'm thinking this is a murder scene you haven't searched the house for drugs. He's just called high on ice. Yeah. Why didn't you search the house? You know, there's like 20 bags of ice in these drawers. What are you doing? So we called the police and going, can you come back and, you know, the evidence? There's 10 grams of ice in here. Yeah. I thought you said 20. So. There you go, cash. Yeah. So, and again, guys, look, this is all lighthearted and you have to be lighthearted in this business too. Like, you have to be able to, joke as well it's uh it's a very serious business but you got to be able to joke as well so yeah it's um, fun there's fun, fun to it i mean yeah you know but it's it's hard work but yeah someone's got to do it so it's Absolutely. never i'll put it there's never a dull moment and there's never a job that's the same yeah so, so the good. difference between so suicide that you get to in two days opposed to an unattended death let's say you three weeks later what are you walking into in that different environment oh look it depends also on the person who died i mean we just did one she was there for three weeks um 
finished that one yesterday actually afternoon and she'd been there like she couldn't tell like the smell was just like an old aged care facility you know right. it was there was no fluid she'd fallen off the bed and died on her sheets the sheets had a little tiny bit of fluid there was really nothing to clean up um obviously there's a tiny bit of odor so we ozoned it and steam cleaned the carpets and washed the walls and cleaned the bathroom for them and took the mattress away but otherwise it was not, there was nothing there and other cases yeah. you know, had guys that have been 140 kilos in the middle of their lounge room and been there for two weeks and melted and saturated the fluids gone through the carpet uh, through the tile grout lines and yeah. sucked all the carpets off each bedroom off the lounge room you know and that was just horrendous you had to cut out cut out framing and structure it was <laughs> a mess yeah it was like butter it literally looked like it was melted butter with fluid flies was, maggots oh yeah covered every window that's what notified the um, neighbors because there was thousands of flies on the windows yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah look probably the most common sign from yeah. a neighbor or someone calling the police going i think they might have passed away yeah, yeah. I mean, look done a few of those myself but cockroaches and oh, yeah. better get yeah. pest controllers in fleas yeah. pets you know yeah. it's horrendous some of the time so yeah, i remember cleaning one of them we didn't we cut all the floorboard out and he literally he wasn't even supposed to be staying there it was his friend's house and he'd broken back in he was a heroin addict and just passed out at the entrance to one of the bedrooms on the carpet body shaped like you can imagine um they pulled the carpet up, cut all the timber floorboards out, vacuumed all the house of blowflies that were still alive, <laughs> came back the next day, and the same amount of blowflies were still there. So, and I'm thinking, looking at the floor, where are they coming from? And then, it's trying to flying in like a, one after another up through the floorboards underneath the house. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that obviously hatched under the house, and we probably had another thousand of them in the house again. Right. So it was like, we need to close the floorboards up because uh, that's where they're coming from. All the windows were dirty again because they leave a big mess, the flies. So the clean we'd done, we had to do again. Right. Yeah. So we learned that process really quickly. <laughs> Tame the floor, close the floor up, put the floor back down straight away. <laughs> how do you how do you go about dealing with family members? Well, that's always going to be a struggle at times, I guess. Oh, uh, it is. I still, you know, we try and distance ourselves from that side of it. Um, and just we're just there to make safe and remediate the property. And a lot of the time, the family members, you know, they're interstate. So, you know, fathers died in Sydney or Melbourne, they're in Queensland. Um, they'd wanted to sell the house, they've just inherited the house, they'd want to sell it. Mm. You know, I might be dead already, and dad's just passed away. Let's just get it to a state, clean it, decontaminate it so that the agent can go in there and sell it. Yeah. You know? So, we don't often come across direct family for sort of those unattended deaths because they're the elderly. They're not, you know, it's not such an emotional time. Um, you know, they know they were on their way out or they're, right. if they've been there a long time, then the family's disconnected. We find, you know, they haven't talked to okay. their father for 10 or 15 years. Um, the emotional attachment's gone, you know, and if it's, if they're close to them, they're checking up on their mom and dad daily, you know, so since they don't answer the phone, they're around there. They've only been there for a day before they've been found. There's not right. really fluid to clean up. You know, it's that, that disconnection that causes that um, period for them to be found. Okay. So you do um, biohazards. So is biohazards, is that, um, what, what's sort of some of the difficult jobs you've had with biohazards other than sewage or any of that? Have you had like uh, chemical 
um, you know, explosions or? No, not really. Uh, It's usually been related to body fluids. Uh, We've just done a Mercury, we do Mercury cleanups now. We've got a special Mercury recovery vacuum, uh, which you can basically suck up Mercury out of, you know, your old thermometers or the um, back of clocks, the old pendulums have Mercury. Um, and extraction machines for your filaments at the dentist, you know, when they leak. So, I mean, there's a, there's not that much, you know, to clean up as far as the mercury industry, but, you know, no one's going to do it. No one's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, add it on. Yeah. Add it on. And that was by accident, too. You know, we, um, there's not a lot of work in it. We've only done one job so far and it costs just as much as a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah. Anything you know, to do with ladder things on cheap. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we get called to some weird ones. We got called to one the other day that was a zinc, zinc contamination, but it's not toxic to humans, but it's got to be removed from the subfloor because there's servers going in, computer servers. Okay. Uh, yeah. A few labs here and there that we need to clean, which has spilt something that um, needs to be decontaminated. Have you dealt with much with um, solar panels? No, I've never done any solar panels. Yeah. Okay. There's another industry for you. So, when solar panels get damaged from hail or something breaking on them, the contaminants in solar panels go into the gutters. So when the water comes in, it's all contaminated water in the, the tanks and all that sort of stuff. So oh, okay. yeah, there's a whole thing around that as well. So What's the contamination in the solar panel? What is it? Uh, and there's a, it's a long word. It's about 14 letters. Okay. Uh, I could look it up, but yeah, there's a contamination in there. So we've had a few of those with the restoration side where uh, properties in the bush sort of thing, you know, where they only source of water, yeah, yeah. water tanks. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't just sort How of... How could you prevent that? Is there a, I, I suppose you couldn't really prevent it. No, it's just you've got to clean out the whole system. So you just dump the tanks, and but that's contaminated water. So you've got to get has tanks in there to extract it and flush. You've got to do a full roof flush and gutter flush and, you know, everything. So it's quite a process, but it's another thing. It's another buyer hasn't put it Yeah, oh, look, there's, there's, I mean, there's so many little, little bits and pieces, you know, from there. Yeah. Roof spaces, cleaning out, you know, possum shit, you know, yeah. to trying to find a dead rat in a wall. We get a lot of those calls. I've got yeah. something dead in my room. I can't, I don't know what it is. Can you come and find yeah, it? Pigeons like, is another one too. We, oh, uh, we look yeah. after a school in Brisbane here that's got this pigeon out plague. And um, it was every year we're going out there and doing a, a yeah. pigeon bio. It's, I mean, it, it's full on. Like, it's full make suited make, up. That's, you know, too, you know. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the pigeon shit is, is nasty because you've know, got a lot of diseases and bacteria that gets yeah. out of pigeon shit. Oh, yeah. It's it's yeah. a big job. And, like, it's only a small area. It's probably, oh, geez, 40 square metres. It takes us a full day with a team of three. You know, it's it's a big job. Pigeons, what they call them, flying rats. <laughs> so, yeah. well, there's, okay. there's, there's different jobs all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If it's, yeah. if it's, Something that a regular cleaner doesn't do, then we can probably do. It. Yeah. yeah. As as abseiling down buildings when someone's yeah. their wrists. You know, it's we abseiled down and we wiped the facade, all the blood off the facade. Right. Yeah. So what happened on that job? How did he get blood on the side? Oh, he cut his wrists, hung over the edge before he decided to jump. Oh, okay. Windy day. So as he dri- it dripped, it's just dripped down the concrete facade of the building. Right. 37th floor. So we had to hire an abseiling company to suit up. And um, he went down, and I went down, and yeah, 
I'm well looking, yeah, it's actually a good, good day, you know. <laughs> good, day, and good views. Find some blood and get a view. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what about um, the meth side of stuff? You guys are doing the meth cleanup, meth houses? Yeah, so we started meth in 2000, but started cleaning meth houses in 2010. We started, okay. um, again, a lot of BS in the industry of, you know, how it's dangerous and people who've been doing cleanups and had internal bleeding and all this fear that these people were telling us about how dangerous this is, you know, to clean up meth labs. Right. Geez, right. We'll stay out of that. And then we decided, well, maybe we'll, we'll have a look at that. And we went to America and did the training. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, started Meth Lab Cleaners Australia um, not long after that. And I think we did one or two in our first year. And then that doubled and that doubled to the point where we were, you know, doing you know, 50 labs a year. Right. So, I mean, there's plenty of them out there. Um, I don't know about labs and such, oh, but it's plenty houses, of yeah, houses. smoke houses and small shake and bakes and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, they are. I mean, when you when we test them, you know, we can we can tell what they've been doing. It's always a range hood, but you know, we might find a range hood that's got two hundred micrograms, no pseudoephedrine and ephedrine. Yeah, I'm thinking, well, this is weird, and they'd that's find that from the owners upstairs. The range hood was on all night. I thought, well. That's a bit strange. So we've, we've worked out that they're cleaning meth. So they're getting it in. They're actually distilling it. So it's pure oh. meth. It's coming in alcohol bottles. One guy had. He had 20 Jack Daniels bottles turn up, apparently. And he's got a big pot there, and he's distilling it back into a solid. There you go. Uh, there's no pseudoephedrine and ephedrine. It's just pure methamphetamine. But then the rest of the house was really low. So it was, you know, there was, in some rooms under, you know, it was just from distilling and, and cleaning it. You know, whereas you, you come across a house that's 300 and the other rooms are, you know, 50 and it's been a lab. And that's obvious. But there's probably only one lab in every 10 smokehouses, I think, that we find. Okay. Yeah. And like you said, the shaking bags, sometimes they're attempted labs. You know, they've damaged the place with chemical spillage, but they're too cooked themselves. They don't quite get spice. They try to cook it. They've gotten angry and they smash the place up. Sounds sounds right. Yeah. What uh, um, out there. there's a lot of houses. There's a lot of meth houses out there. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the changing in um, the testing methods with meth. What, what's your what's your take on testing a, a property um, to see if it's been infected by methamphetamine? Well, you've got the, we've got the instant kits we sell. Um, the so MMA. what are they? Explain the instant kits. Oh, so it's a presumptive. Immunosay instant kit, like a pregnancy test, it looks like. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a buffer solution and a cotton bud that you simply swab a wall to take the meth off the wall and into your bottle, which goes into a cartridge. So to see if there is contamination on the surface. And that'll tell you straight away. If it's over 0.5, it'll show a positive. Right. Um, but it won't Are they calibrated you. to 0.5? Yeah, they're calibrated to 0.5. Yeah, so. is there anything under 0.5, they don't show anything over. No, they might, they might have a faint line. So if there's no line, it's definitely over 0.5. If yeah. you've got you do use a control cartridge first. So, and you might get one that's like a ghost line. You can kind of see a line that's kind of gone. You know, it's probably around 0.5. So it's yeah. low levels, you know, but you still want to do lab testing if you get a ghost line because it might be 0.4 there, but it might be two there. That's right. And all the kitchen might be 10 and 20. So uh, if you get a couple of positives with an instant, you know, we recommend testing every room then with the, the lab swab. So you can sort of work out what's happened. You know, it might have just been a smokehouse. 
and that way it rules out certain rooms you don't need to decontaminate. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of going, oh, we've got a positive in the kitchen, as some companies do, and they quote to decontaminate the whole house when they haven't tested every room. Right. You know, so instance and then lab testing. And, yeah. and look, there's been a, a bit of controversy in the media probably in the last 12 months about uh, companies, we don't need to name names, but companies sort of doing things wrong, sort of, and that's sort of destroying, um, you know, people being thinking that this industry's, you know, a, a decent industry. Yeah, oh, there's always going to be cowboys and yeah. not regulated. They're out there. You know? Yeah. You know? so, so if someone's coming to do a test in your property, what's some of the things they can look out for to make sure that person's actually doing the right job? Um, well, make sure they, they swab the surface area that's 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres. You know, if they've got a lab sample to swab it, make sure they pin that square up because that's all they're meant to swab. You know, they shouldn't be just getting a swab and wiping a big section of the wall. You know, and that's what's happening with these mm. with these with these swabs when you ask the owner, so where were their squares? They go, what squares? Right. Uh, have you got a report? No, I've just got a lab report. No report, just a report from the lab to say how high the levels are. You know, then I pull the doors back and I can see there's this massive swab section where the methanol swab's taken the top layer off. You know, and it's five to ten times the amount of surface area they're meant to swab. You know, so it's not an accurate reading. And then they've already got a quote from their mate. That's who, right. So explain that, explain that, because this, this is where people get a little bit sort of paved about this industry, is that there's some people that, look, go by the rules. There's some people that don't. That's like any industry. But the biggest thing is someone's paying for this at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I think this is the biggest thing is, um, like, I know you have videos online and YouTube videos and things. I've seen a few of those. Um, when they get these test kits, is there a how-to video or you're working on a new one of those yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy it's easy to follow we've got an instruction guide with it um you know step by step telling you what to do and you know they're easy to follow you've got pictures on them hmm. uh, but we are making videos now to show how to test um rather than correctly. and do the lab testing as well yeah okay because it's, it's it's fairly easy but you need to know where to test you know if yeah, the house is painted you know just before you've done the inspection why was it painted find an area that's not painted. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these houses, they know they've been cook houses or smoke houses and they're just going and painting them before they sell them or release them. Yeah. You know, but and look, and there's, another, there's a lot of other things. There's hot, cold surfaces. You know, they uh, heat up and subtract and they sort of grab more. The window sills is another thing, you know. Lost surfaces, it's lost. I mean. Yeah. So, look, there's a whole uh, methodology of how to test these places properly. Not, not alone just how to swab, it's how and where to test and why to test somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And we know, like, we've been doing this 10 years. We know that gloss surfaces are always mm. much higher than non-gloss surfaces. That's so right. if you swab a door and it's 10 micrograms, sometimes I've swabbed the wall next to it just to check, and it's been 0.4. Right. It's been under. Yeah. You know, and then I get these reports from these other testing companies, and all they've tested is gloss. gloss they won't tell you where they've tested even. <laughs> and you know, the client saying, well, they said that they don't want to tell you where they've tested. And I said, you're supposed to show where it was tested. It doesn't mean I'm going to only clean that area, you know, because you should test another spot. I don't need to know where they're going to test later on, but I need to know what they tested to get that result. And they're not giving that away because they're all gloss. So the gloss is you know, up to 10 times higher. And then they've got a quote from someone else for a ridiculous amount because they're high. You know, and we go and retest. You know, Let's test the walls. And two rooms were over. 
in the previous one, 10 swabs are over because they're mm -hmm. all gloss. We know we can get rid of the gloss surfaces. Pull the doors out, get the skirts off, um, sand back the window frames with the containment and clean two rooms. We don't need to remediate anything else. It's a quite a cheap plane. You know, instead of spending 25,000 on a remediation, it costs them seven, you know? <laughs> who's paying for these remediations? Who's, who's the, the main? In most cases, the owner, because the insurance yeah. won't cover it unless um, a lot of landlord insurers will not cover um, meth decontamination unless it was actually a cook, a lab. Yeah, it's well, it, it was under malicious damage, but I think they're changing the wording on that. Only well. under malicious damage if it's a cook. So if you're smoking right. ice and we find it's over, you're not covered. But if we find pseudoephedrine and ephedrine in samples and higher levels, mm. and we can state that it's a cookhouse, it's been manufacturing, then it's a malicious act. Right. Yeah. They were maliciously doing it. Otherwise, smoking ice, they didn't do it maliciously. It wasn't done out of spite. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the clean's still the same. If you've got a heavy <laughs> user and it's 20 micrograms and someone failed to cook and it's 20 micrograms, cleaning's the same. Yeah. yeah it's going to cost you the same. So, but what, what is the most expensive part of the actual remediation side, other than labor? Because labor is always going to be the most expensive. What do you well, find is the most expensive? Well, for the owner, it will be the reinstatement. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, putting your ovens back in, your range foods, your carpets, your curtains and blinds. You know, putting your carpet, curtains and blinds in could set you back ten to fifteen thousand. Yeah, that's right. Size house. Size house. Yeah. HVAC system. There's ten to fifteen thousand again. Yeah. You know, plus your appliances. You're at what forty, fifty thousand dollars pretty quickly once you've repainted. Yeah. Uh, with a decon and reinstatement and all the testing, it could be up for you know eighty to hundred thousand depending on the size of the house. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. So, cost. so if you're buying a house, still pest building and a meth test. Yeah. <laughs> meth and again, test. that's not that's not required at the moment either, is it? No, no. no. But I mean, a lot of people are asking, and the building inspectors are starting to offer it as an extra service now, which is good. Yeah. So the problem is then that the person selling finds out that it's positive. They didn't even know it was positive. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it starts that process again. You're opening up another can, aren't you? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it'd be like testing the rent rolls. You know, we've spoken yeah. to multiple agents about um, them wanting to introduce testing, you know, put it on their lease to say, we will be testing every property for meth to sort of counteract tenants smoking and cooking meth. And I thought, that's great, but the problem is you don't have a baseline. You haven't tested it before. Yeah, but you've also got people that are doing that that don't have the money to, you know, to pay it anyway. No, well, don't have, I said to them, don't do that because you might find that you lose 5% of your rent roll. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you, they might have insurance, so they're not going to want to rent, you know, rent their property with you again. And the tenant might say, well, you put me in a contaminated property yeah. because he'll claim that he didn't cause the damage and you can't prove he did because you didn't do a test before he moved in. See? And that's happened. I've had cases where the agent have called and said they're suing me for putting them in a contaminated property. And they knew they were the offenders, but they couldn't prove that he was. And they didn't test it before he moved in. So he got his rent back. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> You know, the new property they take on, they should be, before they take it on, the property management company should be testing it. They've got a baseline. Okay, it was negative before you went in, it's now on your lease. But don't test your existing stock because, you know, you are opening a can of worms. You really don't know. I mean, it'd be good too, but that could cause some serious problems for the property management, you know, part of the real estate industry. Really bad. We know there's thousands of them out there. As a business owner, what's your insurance like? 
a pain in the ass. So we've got a big list of things that we're covered for, but yeah, that's another story we'll talk Expensive. about. Expensive? Yeah. We got in just before COVID. Oh, again, look, this is yeah, this is, is the realities. This is actually the realities of doing this sort of work, isn't it? But I mean, it depends on your turnover too. You know, it's based on your volume of, of um, turnover. Percentage of that type of work, yeah. The more money you're making, the more your insurance is each mm. year. Yeah. And it keeps going up as all insurances do. You get a letter say, unfortunately, we're going to have to raise your policy because we yeah. know... You haven't made a claim, but hey, high risk, high risk work. Yeah. We know you need insurance. So yeah, we can. We're going to double <laughs> so, it. And we know that there are other companies that have pulled out of insuring you. So we're putting only one. So we're going to double it this year. Yeah. And you have to pay it. So, so, yeah, that so that's definitely money. something you have to look at when. Yeah, um, it's expensive for this sort of stuff now that COVID's hit. You know, yeah. it's probably quadrupled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we had to have a separate uh, policy for it as well. So it wasn't cheap. And we don't look, we do sewage. Um, a lot more than we do crime scene meth lab cleans. And um, sewage is in the same section now, which people don't understand. So okay. it's a biohazard. Yeah. So sewage is probably, you know, more, uh, yeah, there's a higher chance, I guess you could say, of being, you know, affected from doing cleanup with sewage because there's so much of it. Your entire floor is covered in it. Yeah. You know, walking in it, you know, it's not contained to one area like a body, it is the entire sewage covered area. Yeah, airborne blue and, yeah. 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 Uh, it's yeah, a big the, thing. That's the worst part of our job, I think, is the sewage cleaning part of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't do it. <laughs> hey, look, um, it, we're getting to a point of time where um, people probably want to know, how do they contact Josh, someone like Josh, if you're not around? And if they wanted to go through this, what could they do? What could they do to set up? Like, what does a setup cost, I suppose? And then what do you charge? So we don't have to go into numbers exactly, but rough rough numbers, like yeah, look, 70 setup, bucks an hour, $100 an hour. Yeah, still, first question is setup. Uh, yeah. We started with portable machines, you know, like okay. most pump cleaners used. It was high pressure. Um, but it was still 10, 11, I think 11,000 or $12,000 for the ones we had the extra ones and the equipment for that right. machine. Um, but I mean, it's only one part of it. You know, once you've got your chemicals and your PPE and we probably spent- What sort of PPE are you, are you running? Uh, we wear powered air respirators now. We started with the full face respirator, but we just found that when you're working hard and moving furniture and ripping up carpets that, you know, you're sweating, you're struggling to breathe. You've got to pull the air through those filters. Whereas now we've got a hood, you know, it's a hood that sits over your head, battery pack, sucks the air through, positive pressure, so it cools you down uh, with a big visor. And that's much better. We, we'd never go back. We, everyone uses powered air respirators now. Yeah. Um, and what do they run you, roughly? Uh, with, with one battery, with two batteries, because we've all got two batteries, two and a half thousand, roughly, per okay. person. Yep, yeah. per person, yep. Well, it's filters, 150 bucks a set to replace. Yep. And they last anywhere from a month to two months, okay. depending on what you're doing. And again, it's going to be on how you keep them. And yeah, look, and if we're doing jobs that are, you know, meth, like if we're doing a meth lab, for example, and we're spraying a lot of chemicals, they get replaced, you know, after every job. You know, that's that's just a no-brainer. So yeah. we, we include that in our costs. Yeah, uh, and people have to understand that's a cost you have to add into. That's right. Don't that's forget right. about I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, the average cost is for, for labour, it depends, you know, varies from 100 to 200 an hour on okay. a job. 
depending on how bad it is, you know, whether it's hazardous and, um, you know, you obviously add on your chemicals, yep. you add on your PPE costs, you add on disposal. Uh, and look, a lot of clients get a shock when we give them a quote, but they don't understand sometimes that we might have $4,000 worth of disposal fees. You know, mm. skin sometimes in Sydney are $1,100 each, you know, $1,500 each, depending on where you're at and who you can get. And if you need three or four of those, you know, sometimes the client goes, well, my budget's $4,000. I'm like, Four to five thousand is going to get rid of your rubbish disposal fees. That's it. You know, it's it's some people don't understand that there's actually a lot of costs in cleaning these properties up. You know, we don't just you know make money on we're not making money on the disposal and all these extra things. We're adding these on because they're a cost that we have to absorb as well. So yeah, you know, if a, a death cleanup might cost ten grand, but you might be spending six thousand dollars on costs. So there's four thousand dollars in profit. You know, you might think that in two days, you, know, you might charge a bit more if it goes on for three days. But, yeah. you know, it's just how you negotiate that with the client, really. And, um, you know, whether you know you can get through it in that time. Uh, some properties we go to sight unseen and it's just an agreement we send them, you know, sign here and these are our rates and we'll break it down at the end, you know, book and charge. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I've, seen some ex- I've seen some big charges out there. Their, um, this sort of work. Well, we just we're sort of um, for that person that's a small cleaner, you know what I mean? Like they don't understand maybe these rates as well. Like you know, a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars an hour for a, a house cleaner is just like oh what you know that's yeah, yeah. Right. but right. yeah, yeah, it's a specialized field. There's a lot of that's right. I mean, yeah. we don't do any of those? We don't do regular cleaning. Every so often we get called up for someone who's found us online and says, you know, can you come and you know, clean my house? And I said, what's happened tonight? What do you mean? I said, well, did someone passed away? And they're like, no, 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 just the tenants have left. I just need a vacate plan. I'm just going, look, we can come and do it, but it's going to cost you three or four dollars. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, we're a forensic cleaning. We don't do normal cleaning. You know, we don't clean carpets unless it's related to a, a hazardous incidence. And even no. then, we recommend removal, you know, unless they, you know, specifically want us to try and well, clean. They might not be able to afford it too. Or That's right. Mean, so yeah. In some cases, we clean Many it. reasons. Yeah. And again, I've done that as well. You know, I didn't. Not wanted to, got them to sign a waiver and everything, but yeah, and that you have to. It is what it is. It's not. It's not. You know, it's not going to be left 100% safe and sanitized unless you remove it, and that's yeah. just going to be followed. So yeah, um, waiver signed, and and it's always that case. They they're in DHS housing or government housing, and they just don't have the funding to replace the carpet. So, so I guess that that comes down to, uh, I suppose, look. If they got someone like you that has these training, the professionalism, that sort of stuff, that cost is up there. But let's say you're just a cleaner, you want to do some small stuff. What would could you perhaps charge an hour? Like you said before, fifty dollars an hour is all that they have put aside. That's, that's for NDIS. Yeah, that's yeah. That's just a flat rate. They pay for every cleaning service. Okay. So, uh, if it's NDIS, they won't get more than fifty dollars and twenty cents an hour. You can't charge for chemicals. You can't charge for anything else. It's just a flat rate. That's all you can charge for. So, I mean, that's general cleaning. So someone's doing that work, but... Oh, yeah, there's lots of people doing the cleaning work. Um, but it's just regular cleans. They're just the regular cleaners that come in. It's not special okay. work. As soon as there's something hazardous, you know, they, want, they might call us in, but we'll just we'll quote them. We won't go by the hourly rate. So okay. if someone wanted to start up a professional biohazard company, start to finish advertising or marketing... What sort of dollars would they have to sort of cough up to start with, if you know what I mean? Like basic, set up, set up basic. You'd probably be looking at with the van, because you need a van. Um, 
depending on if you bought everything secondhand, you might get away with it for fifty to sixty thousand. If you're buying it new, hundred to hundred and fifty. Okay. Yeah. If you get set up properly. Yeah. If you want a truck mounts, I mean the truck mount in our vans are worth more than our vans. Mm. You know, they're forty to forty five thousand a truck mount, whereas the van was Thirty-eight, fifty. Oh, okay. Uh, once you're in the shelving, with seven thousand. You know, so once you've kitted it out with all the equipment, each van's worth a hundred plus. Right. Yeah. And these ozone machines. Oh, they're, they're not too expensive. I think they're fifteen hundred to three grand, depending on where you buy them from. Okay. Yeah. What sizes are you doing? Uh, well, they're a special aluminium one. It's got a double tube, so I think they're about eighteen thousand um, milligrams, if that's the right term, per hour. Okay. But again, ozone is one of those things that is a bit misinterpreted too, because you've only got, once you close the house up, there's only so much oxygen you can turn into ozone. So once you've saturated the property and pulled the oxygen out, you're not going to be generating any more ozone. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes you need to have it near a window where it's sucking in and have the fans not circulating. You know, you got your movement. Okay. The higher the concentration isn't always what you're aiming for because it can only create so much concentration. These massive machines people bring in and charge thousands for, it's all bollocks. You know, the saturation points reached is just to make money. You know, and you, I mean, ozone charges it between 150 and 500 a day, depending on location and pickup, and whether we have to put one or two in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to leave them in there for five days, though. I mean, it's the hotter the environment, too, the better they work. The hotter the environment, sorry, you just broke up then. The hotter the environment, the, hotter the, environment, the better they work. Because right. it, opens, okay. it opens the pores and the building material, you know, it gets that odor out. Yeah. So, look, I'm not going too deeply in the process, but um, the process, uh, as far as let's call it a make safe, goes to decon to the final clean. What um, is that the stages, the steps that you have? That's the stages we have, sorry, but yeah. Yeah, it'll be the same. It's always a make safe. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's as far as we go. Okay. It's a make safe, the family or nurses or police officers or whatever. They just want the scene cleaned up. Um, and they're, they're, they don't care about the little bit of smell left, you know, because you won't get rid of all the smell unless you've emptied the house of contents and, and treated the whole house when there's been an untended death for two or three weeks. Right. You know, and a lot of time they're happy with that. They want to go through the contents um, and they'll go through the contents, take out what they want. And then they might call us back or they might just get a rubbish removal company to come in and dump the rest of it. You know? Yeah. So, um, other cases, as you said, it's a make safe, then it's the full remediation of the house. Yep. So make safe, well, roughly, again, rough prices. Just uh, a four bedroom home doing a make safe. They're in the lounge room. It's an unattended. Yeah, look, we did, that's what we did yesterday. It was only make safe, um, but there wasn't a lot of odor. So it ranged between two and 3,000 for a make safe. Okay. Yep. And then it, let's say you'd have to go further um, to the next stage of the decon side. Yeah, what I mean, you've done a lot of houses, so you get an idea of average prices. Yeah, look, I mean, the average the average cleanup is usually about five to seven thousand. Um, again, depends on the contents, the condition of the house. You know, that might double if it's full of full of shit. Yeah, yeah, skip bins, that's all stuff. Bug, like shit, bug marks and the floors are filthy, the kitchens are dirty. That's all. It's a it's a squalor house, you know. Yeah, you got and sharks. You have got the hazards in there as well as the smell. The so that, that's the one thing we haven't brought up yet is the sharps. Yeah, so that's one of the biggest things. Yeah. We so we wear punch proof gloves. Um, we do a lot of sharps sweeps. 
Look, air gloves, I think they're punch-proof. They're about $120 or $130 each. They're yeah, sort of similar right. to it. Yeah, but you've got, yeah. 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 So, they don't last long enough. Well, you bill them to the job. Trust me, I've actually left gloves behind for the owners just because they wanted to go through some stuff and you just, again, just bill them to the job. Yeah, so, yeah. and you have to. I mean, it's it's weird. You can buy a bloody power tool. You can buy an electric drill from Makita for $100 and these frigging gloves cost me $120. That's right. You know, it's just rubber coating. I mean, come on. Yeah. If there's an industry there, it's making some sharp proof gloves. <laughs> So just just on that, so just a normal house, you're probably around that ten thousand, twelve thousand on Tommy yeah, uh, clean. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it can take you a week sometimes. Um, it's it's more about the detail. I mean, once you've got me the bio, and it also depends on you know where the bio has been. You know, if they're a big person, they died in bed, they've gone through the mattress, they've gone through the ensemble base, you know, they've gone through the carpet underlay, they've gone through the floorboards and into the soil. Yeah, you know, and that takes a bit of you know, work to, to remediate. So so what if you've missed something? So you said before you might have missed something and you have to come back. Is that an additional charge or is it a one flat fee to do the job or how do you work that uh, look, I mean, it, we'll, 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 we'll quote them for certain hours um, and do it to you know, the best of what we think we can find at the time. And we right. can't always access some of these areas if they're you know, into the structure where we can't see them or access them. You know, in bathrooms, in corners, and sometimes the floors are rotten from water damage you can't even see whether it's from from rot or yeah. um, from the body fluid once you've extracted it so i mean it's hit and miss and we decided look we could have stayed there for another three hours and pulled up some more floorboards and found nothing but you know there mightn't be anything there we don't know okay. uh, sometimes you can't access that subfloor area under the house and Other times you can access that area under the house and we can't see it from above and you can see where it's trickled down the boards right, yeah. go, all right well, we need to find out where that is and take that up. Um, need the builder. You know, we can't always get to those areas without a builder coming in and assessing the situation because some of it's structural. Yeah. Okay. And did you have lawyers do all your paperwork at the start, or is there is there uh, paperwork that people can get a hold of out there? Yeah, well, we had some lawyers drop our contracts and paperwork, but I mean that's changing. That's an ever that's an ever going fee. Having legal advice and reviewing documents all the time. So you know, allow a couple of thousand dollars at least every year for. We probably spend ten thousand dollars a year on legal fees. Okay. Yeah. Again, these are just expensive. People don't realize, you expensive. know. Yeah, you need advice. Yeah. Yeah. And look, as you said, there might be four thousand dollars profit in a ten thousand dollar job, but as far as that uh, four thousand dollars can get eaten up pretty quickly too with this sort of work. Oh, so yeah. Insurances and lawyer fees. Once you're managing website costs, yeah. and phones, and your internet, and your insurances, and your you know your, your wages, upkeep of equipment, machinery. Yeah. Yeah. Training our staff. Right. Yeah. It adds up. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things I wanted to get at was people might think it's very expensive. You know, you get charged a lot. There's a lot of profit in there, but it's a very expensive niche market that if you're doing it. Yeah, like, there's a lot of equipment. I mean, we've been doing yeah. this 10 years and we've, we just can't believe every year we think we've got it all. You know, yeah. finally we'll take some profit this year. And then <laughs> all of a sudden we buy an $8,000 mercury vacuum cleaner. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Going and going and going. That's like that truck mount needs replacing now from 10 years ago. Now we need a new band, new truck mount. Yeah. There's another 80, 100,000. Um, it's constant. Yeah. Always yeah. Something, there's always something to spend it on. Yeah. Well, you need to. If you don't spend and keep your equipment top notch, you can't do these good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, especially this type of like, if, it, look, if people are listening and you're thinking about getting into this, I wouldn't rush into it. Put it that way. Like, it's get some training. 
talk to some people, reach out to Josh. Um, and again, it's there's enough work for everyone. Josh isn't half to getting all the work, are you? Like I don't have yeah. Like it's not, as I said, like there's enough work for everyone. Um, but all we're trying to do is just say to people, there's a right way and there's a cowboy way. Mm. Um, and look, Josh doesn't know everything, and that's why he keeps improving on his education, buying new equipment, new chemicals come out. You've got to keep learning all that new chemicals. You know, they're only getting better and better, but you still got to learn it, don't you? Like it's, to, it's never mean, ending. There's always a new way. There's always a new chemical that makes yep. it easier. Does a job applicator, no, whatever it is, yeah. Um, yeah, new sprayers. You know, there's backpack pump sprayers that we're looking at as well instead of yep. the little ones. But then it's whether it's for acids, all the stuff we use, alkaline, the rubbers go. Yep, and they don't last long. So. Const- yeah, it's a it's a constant learning curve. So yeah, a lot of know a lot, but a lot of wastage in materials and equipment that you buy, you don't use that much, or they crack. These pump sprays are forty dollars to one hundred and fifty bucks each, and you might use them for a week, and something's busted, and yeah. You know, it's not worth the time to fix them, honestly, sometimes, you know. So we might we'd spend five thousand dollars a year just on pump sprays. You know, <laughs> they get contaminated, they're, they're disposable. Yeah. You know, we use them on a job, they go in the bin. That's it. Yep. No point decontaminating a twenty dollar spray bottle. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then you get to the next job if you haven't taken the chemicals out and it's not popping. <laughs> we got anyway, yeah. <laughs> and look, the chemicals that last that long anyway. So if you put them in a bottle. You know, they've only got half an hour yeah. to an hour where they work with them anyway. So, yeah. and I mean, that, yeah, it's, it's on, it's ongoing. Like in the industry, if you've got to keep your training up, um, yeah. you know, you've got to keep up to date with, you know, the chemicals and different things that are changing. Legislation. Uh, it, costs, you know, it costs to run a business that's educating the staff constantly and the training yeah. programs and uh, keeping up to date with, with the best um, methods of, you know, remediating these strange situations. And a lot of it has just come from experience, you know. People want to go through a course in a week and they come to the other end in that course because they, uh, we know all the, you know, the paperwork side of it. Terminology, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> a few big know, words. We've never cleaned up a scene. You know, they might spray some pig blood on the floor in some of these classes and you've got to clean it up. Like, well, anyone can clean up a bit of pig blood off the Oh, on a ceramic tile normally yeah, too. That's yeah. the one I did. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, so, bring it in a pallet. It's kind of blood and you know, have a go. On a wall. Yeah. <laughs> Brickwork. So, so, but I mean, it's, it's, it's any make safe and any remediation, the idea is to limit, you know, um, the hazards and mitigate um, any health exposure, I guess. So, you know, it's not all about the um the blood i mean you've got odors in there you know it's the odors are probably what put, puts most people off but if you've got a mask you don't you're not affected by the odors you don't even smell it until you get outside and take your, your mask off and it's your mask that stinks then not anything else you know but you need to wear these suits inside um these scenes because you will you won't smell it but as soon as you get home your wife will there's been a few cases where I've done quotes and forgot my signal. Oh, God. Oh, I'll run through quickly. Got home. She's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, look, and that oh, smell God. stays with you for days too. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't a, leave. It's a unique smell. Yeah. yeah. Once you smelt it, you know it. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, look, it's a, it's a hard industry. It's not just what people think it is. It's not this crime scene. Um, but most, most of the jobs aren't crime scenes. You know, they're unattended deaths or coming yeah. up and an old lady's fallen over and, you know, cut herself or she's had a burst vessel, you know, being on the floor. Um, 
it's you know, feces and urine and yeah. the, all the other biohazards, not just from a crime. You know, the crime rate in Australia is quite low. It's just cleaning up hazardous things, really. Mate, mate we're going to cut it off, mate. That's our time. But uh, it's fascinating, mate. This conversation is always fascinating. And I suppose that's why it uh, interests people. That's why it's sort of out there in the media at the moment too. So, um, look, if anyone's got any more questions, you can get a hold of Josh at admin at forensiccleaning.com.au. His contact number is 1300 Biohaz 246 249. Um, if you're interested in getting into this business, um, Josh, you've got a few things coming up uh, shortly with some training packages, but there's also the uh, test kits. Uh, yes. Doing some training around the test kits as well. Yeah, so um, meth, meth testing kits for the next. Yep. So a lot of things you can start off with. Um, but the, the biggest thing is, is if you're going to get into this sort of role to understand that it, uh, it's not as easy as it seems and that's no, very it's, expensive it's not, a, it's not a glamorous it's not yeah. a glamorous role it's, it's an so, interesting role it's rewarding as well it's very yeah, rewarding that's right. it's, it's interesting and rewarding but it's not this glamorous yeah. role that all these people think from watching yeah. TV it's you know you've got to you've got to want to put in yeah. the hard yards it's, I don't think there's going to be a TV crew there filming your day so no, no. <laughs> although we have had them with us on occasion. You know, yeah, right. Okay. Stories when there's been no um, no family, you know, yeah. attached to it. So, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's not something that you can advertise. It's the, we can't put the footage up of anything that we've got. It's it's a discreet service, you know. We've got magnets in our vans and no sign running. We, we take the magnets off before we get to the job so no one knows that we're actually doing what you're doing. Yeah. You, know, you don't turn up with Meth Lab Cleaners Australia on the side of your van. You know, the whole neighborhood comes out and asks questions. <laughs> What are you doing? What are you doing? Doing pest control. So yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm all suited up in this house, but you come in with your thongs on. That's fine. You know. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, mate. Thank all you very much, and uh, we'll catch yep. you all in the next episode. By assessing this podcast, I acknowledge that the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, or surface, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in these podcasts do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast, or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and all links referenced herein. Moreover, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elemental codes that manifest contaminating or destructing uh, properties. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.